Welcome into the Fast Podcast today. We might not be super fast because we're going to take uh, more than a couple of minutes to talk to former Raging Cajuns kicker Brett Bear. We'll find out what Brett's doing now, and we'll go back to what that season was like. Low expectations, new coaching staff, far cry from a team that was expected to go to a bowl game, and we'll kind of run through that with Brett in just a couple of minutes. But I, I'm calling this podcast the Kick the Change the Culture, and obviously the winning field goal in that bowl game in 2011 is not all that it took to expand on a culture that really did already exist. Back in the 1980s when I was in school, we had a heck of a football team, but unfortunately not being in a conference was a handicap because we had to play three or four major schools a year, plus a lot of schools that would be considered upper-tier mid-majors like Tulsa and Tulsa and Memphis. A lot of those schools along with Texas A&M and Florida and Tennessee and Alabama and Mississippi State and Ole Miss, if you look back at those schedules from the 80s, if those teams, those Cajun teams led by Brian Mitchell and Willie Culpepper and that whole crew, had they been in a conference, things might have been very different. But we went the independent route, and it was uh, it was a help and a hindrance all at the same time. And, of course, Coach, Coach Stokely leaving and Coach Baldwin coming in, some rough years there. Coach Bustle comes in really does help to get the program out of out of the basement. I think we were in the cellar really struggling for an identity after Coach Baldwin left, and I'm not pinning blame on anyone. It's just a fact. If you look back at where we were, the program was not headed in the right direction. I think Coach Bustle coming in from Virginia Tech really did a lot of the right things. He hired quality assistant coaches. He recruited good young men and good football players but it just didn't come all together. There was that one season when the Cajuns, I think, were 6-6 six and six and were expected to maybe go to the Independence Bowl, and it didn't work out. Uh, they were not invited. The bowl situation has changed since then. The conference situation has changed since then. So the culture is really improved upon, and I think now it's just trying to get the fans to catch up. I, I believe... And and I'm gonna I'll probably do a podcast about this next football season. But but I believe that just like with the Saints, once the Saints won the Super Bowl, a Saints fan's expectations and demeanor is changed forever. I expect different things now. When we were eight and eight when I was a kid, that was a good season. We almost made the playoffs. That was a good season. Well, we won the Super Bowl, and it changes your view of the world. I think the same thing happened in 2011. Nobody expected Coach Hud to come in here and get us in a bowl game in one year, but it happened. And so the expectations of the fan changed. All of a sudden, a couple of years later, we don't want to be in the New Orleans Bowl. We want to be in a bigger bowl. Well, certainly, we all want to be national champions. Every school does. But don't look a gift horse in the mouth because all of a sudden, the wheels started to come off the wagon and it was, can we please get in the New Orleans Bowl or any bowl? And then we end up going to a bowl and losing. And then next thing you know, there's a coaching change. And here comes Coach Napier with a great pedigree, obviously an incredible resume. But were fans really expecting the team to be able to be in a bowl game this year, to be able to be in the first ever Sunbelt Conference title game? I don't think so. But yet they haven't responded to this team the way we responded in 2011. And it's because, in part, we've been there already. This is old hat. Well, I don't really think it is. I think that we are, again, taking a step in the right direction. But let's talk more about what happened on that fateful day in that magical season of 2011 with a visit 
with former Raging Cajuns kicker Brett Baer. Brett, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to visit today. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. So, you know, as as the Cajuns are embarking on another bowl experience, uh, this time the first time not in the New Orleans Bowl, heading down to Orlando for the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, I, I, I can't help but think back on that season when everything changed back in 2011. It was Coach Mark Hudspeth's first season. Coach Bustle had done a good job rebuilding the program from a real low point after the Baldwin years and and doing things the right way, but kind of hit a hit a, a stagnant point. I think it was like we were where we were going to be under that leadership, so the, the administration made a change. And you were here through that change. You must you must admit that there is nothing in a dream that you had that season that could tell you what it was going to end up being like after Coach Hud's first year. Sure, and and with you know with me being under uh, Coach Bustle and and his staff for for the first three years, and and you know I think when Coach Hudson came in, he he kind of got us all believing that we could win, and um, you know just revisiting on on that whole season. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just the bowl game. I mean, there was a couple of games that season that we probably should not have won um, that we ended up pulling it off. And and I think at the end of the year, that kind of helped us, you know, put the cherry on top with the bowl game. It kind of reminds me of that Saints season. I've been a lifelong Saints fan, and, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, it kind of changed everything. You know, every year you start the season, this is the year. This is going to happen. But that year for the Cajuns, it was a new coach, a few new players, but a lot of holdovers from the bustle years, good good athletes, good football players that I think a lot of people saw potential in. I just don't know that anybody could have imagined it could all blossom that quickly. Well, I think that I think that's what made it so special for not only me in, in particular, but but the whole team and, and the whole staff is because you know in the beginning of the year there there wasn't that much pressure on us. You know, it's a new it's a new coach, it's a new staff. Oh, well, you know, it's we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding, and then you know all of a sudden you you have a nine-win season and you end it like that, and it's like you know, oh man, we we can win here. You know, and I think that's what was not only exciting but surprising to you know to the fans and and everything especially us as players you know to end it like that when the expectations weren't there you know right and you know I had always been a fan of of Blaine Gauthier I from from his years in high school I I always thought that there was going to be something special about him and Every year, I was waiting for him to be the starter, and it didn't happen for a few years. And and we saw that season; he really did step into the the leadership role of a of a quarterback, a championship type quarterback. What was it like playing with that guy? So, so Blaine Blaine was always uh, always the guy that you know was never uh, never negative, um, no matter what the situation was, and and to have him step into a role like that and to be the starting quarterback, um, you know, just going back to a couple of those games that year, I believe we beat UL Monroe that year on an onside kick. You that know, Ladarius Green recovered. That's right. Yeah. And, and then we scored, you know, 14 points in the last two minutes of that game. And then we beat an FIU team on the road that year, um, you know, that was, that was supposed to, you know, that was supposed to wipe us out. So, you know, for, for him to step into that role and, you know, him being the personality that he was as laid back but um, as talented and, and that year kind of got vocal and, you know, got the team behind him, 
that was good to see, you know, because I, we were in the same situation. We were in the same class. So, you know, I always knew that he was probably the guy, but he just never got the opportunity, you know. Yeah, Dan, it's one of those things. That, and I had a friend that was on the coaching staff at that time, and he and I both would talk about it. He was on the defensive side of the ball, and, and we would talk about it. And I was like, why isn't Goche the starter? And he's like, I don't know, because he sure looks good against our defense. So it just ended up happening when HUD came in. I guess the slate was kind of clean. Everybody got a fresh start, and Blaine stepped sure. up at the right time. Sure. And, I mean, you know, you, you know, you don't forget you had, you know, Chris Mason and, and Brad McGuire that mm -hmm. were, you know, I mean, two great athletes, too. So it's, sure. it's not like you had a couple scrubs in front of him. I mean, um, you had some good athletes. I just, you know, everybody kind of – I feel like everybody thought that for the offense that was being run, he was probably the best guy to do that. Right. You know? And then, and then you end up with the, with all this talent. You know, we talk about the the talent both offensively and defensively on, on that on that squad and special teams too. I'm not going to leave you guys out, but but not <laughs> not not just Blaine, but but a lot of pieces were in place when HUD got here. And when you look back at it, it makes sense that the team was able to win nine games. But moving forward into that season, you didn't see how good Ladarius Green was going to be, or Javon Lawson, or Daryl Surgent. All those guys stepped sure. up, and with a couple of, of guys like Harry Peoples brought in by Coach Hud, it was like it all just fit together. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, because we're, we're always on the sidelines as specialists kind of watching practice, and, you know, coaches are there, and, you know, it's the first season that Hud's there. We've already accepted our invitation to the bowl game, and uh, one of the coaches, I believe it was Coach Loving's, running backs coach just kind of looked at me and he, he just kind of shook his head and, and he was like, you know, how did, how did y'all not win here? You know, like with all the talent that is around this program, how are y'all not winning football games? So, you know, for him to say that, you know, because it, it wasn't their recruiting, no. you know, that first year for sure. Um, so for him to say that, I mean, we always had the talent. I just don't know if the pieces were put into the correct places. Well, and, and you saw a lot of that, and we saw that with, with Coach Napier this year. He moved Michael Jacquette from receiver to, to cornerback. So w when Coach Hud came in, I remember that same kind of thing happened. A few people went from running back to linebacker or from receiver to cornerback. Well, what a, yeah, and, and, you know, just one of those guys was about Lance Kelly. That right, that's right. This awesome wide receiver. You know, whenever I was getting recruited, he was the guy. Like, he was the guy that was going to be the stud wide receiver for the next four years, and then he becomes a stud outside linebacker, you know. So it's just, I mean, things like that, that, you know, just finding the right places for the athletes that you had. Right. You know? And and so so we go through that season, and like you said, a couple of surprise victories, a couple of victories I think people thought even before knowing what was going to happen, Cajuns will probably win maybe four games this year, maybe five. You know, you look at the schedule ahead of time, and then you get the FIU win nobody expected. You get the cra – that's the, one of the craziest endings to a game I've ever seen was the ULM game. I remember it was – I was up in the press box, but it's like Ladarius Green was two feet from me when he recovered that kick and, and started and took yeah. off down the sideline. Remember, they made him come back because you couldn't right. advance it. But, advance it. But, yeah. but we thought he was going to score on that. So – you you end the season and you get the bowl invite and what you couldn't find a more perfect recipe for success in a bowl and I don't mean a victory I mean a big crowd and a boisterous sure bo boisterous yeah. crowd basically took over the city of New Orleans 
that whole process after the regular season ended up until, and we're going to isolate that last play in, in, in a few minutes, but, but kind of go through that whole process. Nobody had been there before. Right. And, and I was just talking to, uh, to somebody the other day about that, that first, that first bowl that we went to, I mean, everybody's just, you know, what do we do? Like, what is, what's the whole experience about? So, you know, taking us to new Orleans and then, I think that first year, like you, as a staff and everything, you're kind of trying to figure things out, right. you know, with even to go, you know, as far as like, well, what's the curfew, you know, like, what do we tell our guys? Like, you know, we're in New Orleans and things like that. And, you know, what's the practice schedule? And, and, I, and I think most of the guys, probably most of your guys on the team were just jacked up to be there, right? Right. Just to be at the bowl. But, again, this goes back to the coaching staff and having that experience as, you know, Hudspeth has been, had been to bowls before. Right. You know, so it wasn't, you know, this wasn't new for him. So to have kind of both, both sides of that, you know, hey, we're excited to be at the bowl, but then have him at practice say, okay, you can have, you know, have fun and things, but let's, let's get the job done um, at practice. You know, so that was nice. Um, to have that kind of aspect of it as well, and, but and it was it was like it was everybody was green for lack of lack of a better term. I mean, everybody, it, fans, coaches, for the most part, I mean, yeah, because HUD, of right. course, at Mississippi State had been to bowl games as an assistant coach, but the players, I mean, maybe played in a state title game in high school, but nobody had been through this process, much less with a, a potential forty thousand plus crowd in the Superdome. And, and- I mean, yeah. Chris, just it, it just magic. The whole thing was magical. I don't think, I don't think the the players really realized how how big of a deal that it was going to be until we ran out of the tunnel, right? Because, I mean, until you run out of the tunnel and it's about to kick off, because it was a late game. Right. It was like an eight o'clock kickoff. That's right. So, until you run out of the tunnel and and you see how many people are there because San Diego state wasn't bringing a whole lot, you know? Right. So it was, you know, 90% Cajun fans there. And just to see that, I feel like that probably took us over, you know, I mean, I don't know that we win that game without that. You I, know what I mean? Like it would have been close, but I, I don't know if you win the game, if you don't have the, the crowd advantage there. It was a better home field advantage than we ever had at our own home field. Absolutely. Without a question. And which is which puzzles me and has frustrated me this year, but that's another podcast for another day. I guess we could talk about that. <laughs> but so here we go. So the game is close again. Cajuns not expected to win. San Diego State is a quality program. I mean, that's hey, not at the time, but that's where Marshall Falk played college ball. This is a good college program with a good coaching staff with a lot of history and bowl experience. So we're not supposed to be in a position where on the last play of the game our kicker gets to have the ultimate pressure situation to win it. That was not really supposed to play out that way, but it did. So take us back. I know how, how often you, you go through this in your mind or you're asked questions about it, but take us back to the, the timeout before the kick and what's going on in your head. How did you get yourself ready to go out there and do that? Yeah. So I feel like one of the, one of the big things that, that should be stated before is, that I had, we had missed a couple of extra points that game. That's one right. got blocked, and one I just flat out missed. So it's not like you're going out there and you've had a perfect game, 
and you lose by one, I mean, you've missed two extra points that at this point would have put you in the lead, right? I and mean, you wouldn't even be having the opportunity to do the kick. That's if, right. If you make those, right? Um, but going out there, I kind of revisited, and it was kind of a numb feeling, you know, I mean, because everything just kind of goes silent. And then I feel like if it's probably that 55-yarder before the penalty – just because of the situation and because of the energy and because of the adrenaline and everything like that, I feel like as a kicker looking back at it, I feel like I probably pulled that ball, you know, just because of everything. But you got the penalty. Everything's kind of calmed back down, and you got a little bit of time to process it, right? You're already out on the field. You've been looking at the goalposts for a little while. I feel like that probably kind of calmed us down a little bit. Mm-hmm where we can kind of concentrate on making it as far as thinking about winning and losing the game I, I really wasn't thinking about it at that point I can remember thinking after like holy crap if I miss that I mean we lose for sure well we lose and you've missed a game winning kick and two extra points like I mean that's a recipe for you know just confidence killer right you know but I'm thankful that nobody really remembers the two missed extra points, right? I mean, you only remember that last, the last thing you see. And then um, I, I've just been super blessed with that because, I mean, that, that kick probably really turned, you know, the career that I had there around. I don't know that I have the senior season I did right. um, without making that kick. You know, I mean, it's just a huge, huge confidence thing at the end of the year. And then, um, you know, obviously having the chance to play with the Rams for a little bit. I don't know that any of that happens if I miss that kick. You know, I mean, anything could happen. We'll never know. But I mean, that's just the kind of kick it was. It, it was a it was a life changing, um, experience changing kick for I, me for I, sure. I'll never forget. I was with my family about the five, maybe ten yard line on on our side. So you're kicking to, to, in front of me. So so. I'm watching the kick, and everybody else is too. I mean, the whole stadium is on pins and needles, you know. And the kick, I can tell when it leaves your foot that it's going to be long enough. But I don't have an angle to see if it's through the uprights or not. I'm almost too close, you know what I mean, right. position. So everybody around me, and there's this was on TV, and I, I actually saw the replay of it. Everybody around me is jumping up and down, and my arms are at my side because I'm waiting for the referees to put their arms up. Like, I am not buying that it's good until they tell me it's <laughs> good. And then I cried. And I looked around, and everybody around me cried. I just I think people don't realize long-term fans. I went to school there in the 80s. People that had been, you know, players in the 50s and the 60s were there. These guys that had, you know, stuck with the program and been fans and made donations and shown up when it was storming and nobody else was there. And they were probably there for the A&M victory, which was a a highlight until that moment. I don't think anybody knew what was going to happen if we won. Much less you guys, you're thinking, we're so happy to be here. This is great. Right. And as a fan, I think we're kind of living that same thing. Wow, we made it. What a great experience. The parade in the quarter. And we're having beer in the Superdome and our team's in a bowl game. How awesome. Holy crap, we just won. Like, it just, yeah. I think the emotions probably came out of us, and I know it came out of you guys. Right. And, and you know, I always enjoy hearing uh, different different uh fans aspect on you know where they were what they were doing because 
to to me to be able to do to be able to have that impact i'm super blessed right but at, at the same time to be able to provide that for people that have been going to games for 20 25 years 30 years 50 years mm-hmm. that you know have lived in lafayette forever because you know i, I didn't live in lafayette so I, I didn't know anything about ul until i was recruited there but to be able to provide that for them now looking back at that that's probably the more rewarding thing is hearing hey this is where I was. This is why that was important to me. This is how that's kind of shaped our football program where we are now to where we can have the nice weight room, a new field house, you know, getting new facilities and things like that. I mean, to hear that is, is much more rewarding for me now than it was in the moment, you know, because I was, you know, I was a 20 year old, 21 year old college kid, but now seeing that, it, it kind of puts it full circle in perspective for me. It's you know? so funny because we used to tailgate right by your family, and they had they had your picture up, and they had these Christmas lights they would hang. I don't know if you even remember any of this, but they had the, oh, like yeah. the, uh, the tent was awesome. And I was like, what a great thing. And it was like, I remember that night after you made the kick, I remember thinking, those are the, that's the nicest family. I'm so happy that it was their son that got that moment. Yeah, I and and here in my because obviously my my whole family, my brother, um, you know his wife, mm-hmm. uh, mom, dad, uncles, aunts, you know they were at the game and um, to hear you know to hear how how proud that I made them and, and everything like that because I mean when you're when you're in high school and you're you're trying to pursue kicking and getting kicking lessons and you think about time I have a little one of my own now. So I, I can just imagine time and cheerleading, dance, mm-hmm. how much does it cost, oh, and yeah. things like that. Um, I mean, you're talking about uh, thousands of dollars on training, you know, and, and to – Travel to and have all it, of it, yep. To, exactly, not missing a game and, and just kind of waiting on something like that to happen. I mean, you're talking about just to kind of bring it full circle. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Why, that's why you do it. That's why you support your kids and, and everything they do and – um, I mean, that's kind of what is going to model the, the way I uh, raise my little girl and things like that. So, I, I mean, I was super proud to be able to to be able to do that for them. But, you know, if I if I miss that and things like that, it, it doesn't change anything, you know, but it just kind of puts a cherry on top. For yeah, them, it, for I, sure. I don't think it, knowing you and, and kind of knowing your M.O. and, and what you're about and, and, and now knowing more about your background than I knew before you made the kick and and knowing where your life is since then, it, that kick wouldn't have changed you. But the name of the podcast is the, the kick that changed the culture, because I think that if we lose that game, I don't know that we go to a bowl game the next year or the next year. Or the next, I think it changed everything. And personally, obviously, like you said, it wouldn't have ruined you if you hadn't made it. But it certainly made a fun path for you because you did. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I said, I don't. I don't think. And you're probably right. You know, with carrying that momentum into the next season and um, things like that. I don't. I don't know that I for sure don't have personally as good of a season that I did, or maybe, maybe the team doesn't, Right. you know, maybe the hype around the whole program is just like, eh, instead of super hyped up going into that second year. Absolutely. You know? 
and I know you got to get back to work, and you've given me more more than more than more than time that I expected. But I, I do want to ask you because you you mentioned your daughter, and a lot of people that that probably haven't kept up or maybe knew that you you were with the camp, the Rams in camp that one year don't know where Brett Bear is now. Tell us real quick what's going on in your life. Tell us about your daughter and and your your new home and your your, your career. Sure. So um, following that 2013 season, uh, after I got released from uh, the St. Louis Rams at the time, I went to physical therapy school in Austin, Texas. So that was about three years. Um, Fast forward now, I've been a physical therapist here in the Woodlands, Mm -hmm. um, Texas, which is just north of Houston, um, for about a year and a half. And uh, my wife and I, our our little girl, Britton, she just turned uh, one year old on thanksgiving day this past uh last month so we got a one-year-old girl at home and she's keeping us busy but um and i was telling you before you know we we wish we could make it over to more cajun games but um you know my wife's family is still in lafayette and we still enjoy coming over there when we can um to games and everything like that so we're kind of setting settling down here right now we got a house here so um you know who knows what happens long term but for now we're kind of we're happy where we're at. We both have great jobs and um, great friends here. So, well, we, we we couldn't be more proud, and and I'm I'm happy to know you and happy to see what's what's happened in your life since the kick because, you know, sometimes you have this one moment and then you look back on someone's life and you're like, well, man, that that was it. Like that was the peak, and I think you're you, right. you, you are far from peaking with that kick that day. Well, I appreciate it, and like I said, it kind of I, I enjoy talking about it because. You know, every year, if we're talking about it, that probably means we're going to a bowl game one, right? Yep. And then the second thing about it is just revisiting. And I learn new things. Every, You know, I never knew that story that, you know, how much it meant to you and um, uh, other fans, you know. So it, it's always fun for me to talk about it. But I think that was just a mere, you know, did it shape some things in my life? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we talk about the experience with the Rams and everything like that. But at the same time, you know, I think being known for that, you know, is just it's more important than just me and and my skill. I mean, it's it's more about what it meant to to fans that have been there and and like you said, donated all this money to the program and, and how it made them feel. Well, go to work and and thanks for visiting. And I know you're not able to make it to the bowl game this year, and uh, and and I'm sure that you wish you could. And I, I kind of wish you'd, you'd be there as a good luck charm for the Cajuns. Who Absolutely. knows? Maybe we well, can we'll suit you up if we we'll needed you. All right. Well, look, give give Lauren a hug for me, and and uh, take care of yourself, and have a very merry Christmas. And hopefully, we'll visit again soon. Okay. Okay, will do. Thank you so much. Again, big thanks to Brett for taking a few minutes to join us today. I'm sure he had patients waiting <laughs> while he was in the break room at work, uh, giving us a little bit of an interview here for the podcast. But a, but a fine young man, and again, one of many great kids that were on that team that have grown into good young men. And proud of Brett and proud of what he was able to do with his career both football and after, and what a difference he personally as a player made on that team in 2011. It's the signature moment. It's the moment that you'll remember forever. Like, again, Saints fans remember the onside kick in the Super Bowl, or they remember Steve Gleason's punt. For me, that will be forever one of the most memorable moments, no matter what happens in the future, as a lifelong Cajuns fan. So, again, thanks to Brett.
Best of luck. You may be listening to this podcast before the bowl game or after, but it's nice to have a Louisiana matchup. Sure, it would have been better if if the game would have been played in New Orleans and we could have all gone down there, but still nice to be in a bowl game again as uh, the Cajuns will take on the Green Wave of Tulane in the AutoNation Cure Bowl this Saturday. Obviously, if you're listening after, I don't know the results. Hopefully, the Cajuns are able to bring home a victory. But again, Brett Baer, with one kick, helped to change a culture of Raging Cajuns football. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We'll see you down the road.